thank you for inviting me to the church here. It's many, many <coughs> years since I've been here now, and it's great. I think there seems to be an awful lot more people here than I was here when I was here last night. Maybe that's what I was here. But it's really encouraging to see a congregation that evidently loves the Lord and most encouraging. And thank you also for lending us your minister uh, for the Saturday <coughs> course this year. He really delivered a lovely series of eight lectures on the doctrine of sonship. It was a sonship in the Bible and it was so well received and the uh, people are still listening to that and still watching that is really good, really good. So thank you either for doing that. That's the main reason why I'm here. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of services on over April and May and this was one I was going to keep free. And then Ivor's email came in and I thought, well, he helped me when I was in need. So, I've decided to come. Anyway, that's off the Lord. Let's turn now to John chapter 17. <clears throat> John chapter 17. <coughs> After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. That you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Don't you just love the way in which the Lord Jesus prepared the disciples for his own departure from this world? I mean, that group of people who were around him, who travelled with him for three years or so, they really benefited from his company, they benefited from his love, they benefited from his teaching, they saw so many of his miracles, they saw the stamina he had, they saw how he wept. They saw how he rejoiced. It was a real privilege to have been with him. That wasn't granted to any of us. We'd never seen Christ face to face in the flesh. And we don't need to. That's something that will come at the end. And when we see him, we shall be like him. That will be the great moment. Even the disciples were here with him on earth when they saw him. They weren't like him, but when we see him, we will actually be instantly like him to perfection. But these disciples, they were about to experience this parting as Jesus was to return back to the Father via the cross. And I love the way in which he, little by little, prepared them for that departure. Even then, after he did all the preparation, still there was a huge breach there that they really struggled to come to terms with. And one of the things that Jesus did in order to prepare them for his departure was to pray. And there were many, many prayers that Jesus prayed when he was in this world 
that he prayed all alone, usually as far as I understand, early in the morning. He would actually go away from people in order to spend time in prayer and praying to God. And it seems that after these times of prayer, he seemed to be so focused on his mission. Remember in Mark 1, he's there praying and the disciples come looking for him and saying, you really, you really popular back in that last village. And he said, no, 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 no. I've got to go and preach in other places. That's the reason I was sent. And prayer is that kind of way, you know, of just reminding you of what you're here for. You stop praying and you tend to lose your way. You pray and you come before the Lord and you do tend to move in the direction that the Lord wants you to go in. So many times Jesus prayed alone and I'm sure that will be your practice too. My mother, when she was young, listening to either talking there about the sheep, my mother and father kept the sheep, but my mother was the expert. You know, he talked about number 103, my mother. She didn't use numbers, but she knew every one of these sheep. Every face was different. She was good. And she would go out to pray every morning on the other side of a, a, a dike, a stone dike out in the cross. She would put the, the cow out and then spend time in prayer there. And she was a godly woman, and that's something I, I remember with great fondness. Jesus prayed in that private way. But there were other times he prayed so that people would hear him. And there was one time when he prayed, and when he prayed, the disciples said to him, Teach us to pray. I mean, I'm sure I would have done the same. Having heard Jesus pray, I think I would have wanted to say, Lord, teach us to pray. Here, in John 17, you've got the longest recorded prayer, at least in the New Testament. I mean, here is a prayer that is slowed down, as it were, so that the disciples could hear every word. And it was prayed in that upper room shortly before he would make that final short journey which would lead to the cross of which you have just been singing. And in praying this prayer, he was actually, as Ivor was saying earlier, he was doing the work of a shepherd. In many ways, he is keeping the sheep as he's praying this prayer. Let's think of the things that he's doing in this prayer. There are three things. First of all, he's speaking to the Father, verses 1 to 5. And then he's praying to the Father, verses 6 to 19, for the disciples that are there listening to him. And then in verses 20 to the end, he's praying to the Father, not only for the disciples present, but also for those who will be reached through the ministry of these disciples. He is so aware of the Father and essentially of all the Christians that will ever come to be part of his church. So on the, in, that was in his mind as he comes to the cross. His Father and then all the believers. That's people like yourselves, people like me, people like some of my family and lots of Christians throughout the world. These are people that were in the mind of Jesus as he prayed this prayer. 
And look at what he says in the opening words of this prayer. And that's what I want us to focus on today. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. What a strange prayer. Father, glorify your Son. Father, glorify your Son. Isn't that a strange prayer? What do you imagine Jesus was asking for there when he said, Father, glorify your Son? I mean, in many ways, he's actually asking God to organise his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to heaven. When he says, Father, glorify your Son, he's asking the Father to organise his death, to raise him out of the tomb, and then eventually to raise him finally into his presence in heaven, seated at the throne of God. But he doesn't say it like that. He says it using this language of glory. Father, glorify your Son. And what does that mean? It means, Father, show them who I really am. Show them my glory. You know what glory is? It's that which is designed to make an impression upon others. So if a king has glory, that king makes an impression on others with his status, with his clothing, whatever. God, he is somebody that makes an impression on us. We feel his weight, we feel his glory. And when we see Jesus as he really is, it leaves a mark upon us. It makes an impression on us. We feel the full weight of his glory. So here Jesus says to the Father, glorify your Son. Reveal who I really am. Show them who I really am. How? Through my death, through my resurrection, and through my ascension to the right hand and the throne of God. Isn't it strange? He says, Father, glorify your Son. Organize my death. I mean, I am not sure that I will ever have the courage to say, Father, organize my death. And certainly in my weaker moments, I don't want to experience that at all. But here's Jesus, knowing that the pathway back home to glory, to his Father's presence, could only be via the cross. Because that's where the Father's will will be done. That's where he will lay down his life for the sheep. He says to his Father, glorify your Son. Organize my death. I mean, he asked the Father to open the way to the cross. And when you think of it, it is the Father who opened the way. There were all sorts of things that had to happen for Jesus to end up on that cross. Wicked hands, yes, they were at work. The devil, very much at work. They were in many ways crucified him. But it was the Father's will that they were doing. And the Father was opening the door all the way so that Jesus would not just come into the world, not just take on human nature, not just live the perfect life, but die the death for sinners. He came to 
to take on himself that cursed death of the cross. He came, remember how the, John the Baptist put it, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. He knew he was the Lamb of God. And he knew that that Lamb had been given by the Father and that the Father would open the way all the way to the cross so that he would die. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane he said that, I don't want to die. Take this cup of suffering from me. But he says, not what I want, it's what you want. And that's the spirit in which he went to the cross. Father, you glorify me. You show them who I am. Open the way to the cross. So it's only the Son could die. The Father can open the way, but only the Son could die. But then there's the next thing. Father, glorify your Son. Raise me out of the tomb. See, that's the thing. When Jesus went into that tomb, dead as dead, when he was laid in that tomb, carried as a corpse, laid in that stony cave, remember, he was really dead. And he could not be brought back unless the Father, into whose hands he committed the Spirit, he could not be brought back unless the Father willed that his own Son in human nature would rise. Father, glorify your Son. Raise me out of the grave. Show them who I am. And he did. He did. And something like three days later, the Father willed with utmost appreciation, with a heart filled with joy, to reverse death in his own son. Yeah. But Jesus, he actually had to be willing to rise. Just like Jesus, the Father could open the way for him to die, but only Jesus could die. And just as Jesus, the Father, had to be willing to raise him out of the tomb, but Jesus had to be willing to rise. And then there's the third stage. Father, glorify your Son, lift me up. Lift me up to your own right hand. Think of Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. That is the Old Testament equivalent of this part. Father, glorify your Son. Lift me up to your right hand. And he did. I believe on the first day, when Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven. And every appearance to his disciples was from heaven's presence. But that final ascension in Acts chapter 1, so beautiful. There's Jesus being lifted up, every word spoken, everything finished. And then when he had said everything, he was taken up from them so slowly. There was no mistake. He was being lifted up. A cloud came, the divine presence, 
and welcome Jesus. And they're still looking, wondering what's happening. And two angels appear, telling them where he is. This Jesus who has taken from you into heaven. In other words, he's arrived. He's there. The Father has lifted him up, welcomed him to his own presence. Yeah, the Father lifted him up. But even there, <coughs> Jesus had to be willing. And then there's that final stage where he's sat at the right hand of God. If in praying this prayer, Jesus is saying, glorify your son. If he's saying, organize my cross. If he's saying, raise me from the dead. If he's saying, lift me up to your own presence. He's now saying, crown me Lord of all. Give me all authority in heaven and on earth. Father, glorify your son, because that's who I am. This is the fullness of grace and truth. This is what real glory is. Show them who I am. Organize my death. Lift me out of the grave. Bring me into your own presence. And then seat me on the throne of the universe. Crown me Lord of all. But of course, Jesus has to be willing to do that as well. In verse 5 he says, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. When Jesus asked the Father to do these things, summed up as, Father, glorify your Son. The time has come, you see. This couldn't be done before. The Father couldn't glorify the Son up till this point in this special way. It had to involve his death, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven, and then being seated over the throne of the universe. Then comes the second part here. Glorify your son. Why? So that your son may glorify you. Don't you love the way our salvation is caught up in the relationship between the father and the son? He asked the father to glorify him. Why? So that he can glorify the father. Father, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Because that's what the Son wants. He doesn't just want to be seen for who He is, full of grace and truth. He doesn't want to be seen for all who He is in His love dying on the cross, in His power rising from the resurrection, in ascending to heaven and reigning over the universe, exercising His authority. No, no, no. The Son doesn't want to show who He is he wants the Father to be seen in all his beauty, all his glory, all his grace and truth. Remember how John put it in John chapter 1. Fifty years, half a century, 
after he himself became a Christian, something like that. He said the Word became flesh. That's God the Son became human. The Word became flesh. What happened? Well, he says, we saw his glory. What glory? What impressiveness? The glory is of the one and only from the Father. We saw somebody who came from the Father and he's unique. He's the one, he's the only. And what was it like, that glory? Brim full of grace and truth. We've never seen covenant love like this. We've never seen covenant faithfulness. We've never seen compassion and love and mercy so beautifully revealed in the Son who has come from the Father. He beheld his glory, glorious of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, that's what's happening. The Father glorifies his Son. Why? So that your Son may glorify you. When Jesus was here on earth, he only wanted to speak the words that the Father gave him to speak. He only wanted to do the miracles the Father gave him to do. He had no interest in anything else. He wanted to be the means by which the Father's glory could be seen. And now that he's in heaven, now that death has been reversed, now that he has exited the tomb, now that he's ascended to the Father's presence and he's seated over the throne of the universe, what is it that drives him? What is it that is his main focus? It's the Father. He wants the Father's glory to be seen. In John 12, in John 12, we're told there, the Father speaks from heaven and he says, I have glorified my name on earth. Through your ministry, I have already revealed my glory. But then he says, and I will glorify it again. And it's through this, the Father's <coughs> going to reveal his glory. How does the Son glorify the Father in his death? Well, when I think of Jesus on the cross, I ask myself, why? Why did he die? He died because the Father gave to him a people, a flock of sheep, to die for. And that to me speaks volumes of the Father. When I see the cross, I know we're meant sometimes to see Jesus first and foremost. I actually see the Father. I see the Father's love. He's the one who gave Jesus the sheep. He's the one who asked Jesus to come into this world, to live the life for them and die the death for them. It's the Father that I see there at the cross. The sheep the Father gave to him. When I think of Jesus rising from the dead, I think of the Father saying that he wants the Son in human form 
He wants his son death reversed. He wants him to rise. Why? So that the sheep will every one of them be rescued. The death does not rescue us. The death on its own is not sufficient. Jesus had to rise from the dead. If ever you think that the cross is enough, then you are wrong. You need Jesus not only to die for your sin, you need Jesus to live forever and ever and ever and ever. And you see, that's what Jesus did. He says, I am not willing only to lay down my life for the sheep, but also to take it up again. And he did. He took his life again, and he was so willing to do it. So willing to come out of that tomb that you might think, ah, well, surely he needed to come out of the tomb. Well, logically, spiritually, yes. But remember, he was in paradise. Remember what he said to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus is in paradise. And his body's in the tomb. And the question is, will Jesus rise from the dead? Will he take that body again? And will he, body and soul, rise? Will he be committed to being God and man, two distinct natures, one person, forever and ever, and ever, and ever. And see, when Jesus rose out of that tomb, that was him committing himself to saving the Father's sheep forever, and ever, and ever, and ever. He loved you so much that he went to die for you on the cross. But he loves you so much that he rose from the dead so that he could live for you forever and ever and ever. You will never be without Jesus Christ, God and man at the Father's side. He's that for you. And he's doing it for the Father. He rises for the sheep. And he's willing to do it. When he rises up to heaven. See, he's spoken all the words, and in Acts 1, there's that final ascension into the Father's presence. He's willing to rise. He's willing to leave behind Peter and the other disciples. He's willing to leave behind Mary. He's willing to leave behind his brothers, some of them perhaps converted by now. He's willing to leave them all behind and he's willing to ascend into the Father's presence. You might think, ah, oh, well, that's easy, an easy choice. Never an easy choice to leave loved ones. Never an easy choice. And don't ever think, ah, oh, well, but it was always going back to the Father. Yes, it was, but it was also love here on earth. Remember when they clung on to him on the day of the resurrection? Mary didn't want to let him go. And 
Jesus said to her, don't cling on to me. Not get ascended to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. This is it, you see. There was a bond there. And he never forgets that even when he's with the Father, he's their Father. Even when he's with God, he's their God. My Father, your Father. My God, your God. Tell my brothers. And that's it, you see. He never, ever forgets. He's doing it for the father's sheep. He dies for them. He rises from them. He is ascended up to heaven for them. And then, he's given the throne of the universe. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. I mean, wow. Now that's some promotion. I mean, there you are, seated on the throne of the universe. Remember Matthew 28? Remember what he said? All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Not a boastful thought in his mind. He's just speaking the truth. All authority in heaven and earth is being given to me. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Father, glorify your Son. Now you might think that's something that will be easy for Jesus to do. I'm convinced the older I get as a Christian that nothing is easy for Jesus. Coming into this world wasn't easy. He was rich. He became poor. Living the life he lived in this world, a life of righteousness, wasn't easy. Every choice was costly. Dying the death for our sins, of course it wasn't easy. One of the songs you had there said about that he wanted to see the look on his face when he died for us. I don't want to see the look on his face, but the thoughts in his heart. That's where the pain was. Yeah. It wasn't easy. Rising from the dead, even that wasn't easy because of that commitment. Ascending to heaven, that parting of love. But do you think that being seated over the throne of the universe is somehow easy? Well, it's easy if you think of it like this, as if he's only God the Son. But he is God the Son and Jesus the Son of Mary. He is a human being as well as God. And he's ruling over the whole universe forever. It's not easy. Have you ever carried responsibility? Have you ever borne burdens? You know what it's like? Well, there he is. He's king. He's king of kings. And you know, it's not easy. It's not effortless. There has to be that commitment moment by moment by moment by moment. 
is the lamb as it was slain in the midst of the throne. There are enemies all around. Yes. But he was willing to do it. Just as willing as he was to come into this world, just as willing as he was to die on the cross, to rise from the dead, to ascend to heaven, now he's willing to reign over the whole universe. Father, glorify your Son, because I want it. I'm willing. And I'm willing to do all of that, Father, so that you will be glorified. Because I know that unless I come into this world, unless I die the death for my people, your sheep, unless I rise from the dead for them, ascend to heaven for them, because they're going to follow me, and unless I live and reign for them, I know, Father, you will not be seen for who you really are. You will not be glorified, but I want to be glorified so that you will be glorified. How? Well, he says in verse 2, You granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. What's Jesus doing? What's he doing on the throne of the universe? I mean, he was desperate to get there. Why? So that he could glorify his Father. How does he do that? He does it by giving eternal life to the people that the Father gave to him to die for, and to live for, and to rise for, and to reign for. He does it for that. What's he doing today? I mean, here I'm, I spoke a moment ago about this congregation is grown. I rejoice. I so rejoice. Why? Because those of you who are Christians, what is it that you have? You have life. You have life. What is life? Verse 3. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You know God. Is that something small, trivial? Where does it come in your list of treasures? You have a relationship with God. Not just God, but God is your Father. Speaking at a conference last weekend in, in Harris, and I was saying something like this, my father, I loved him. But like a typical Lewis man, he wouldn't always open his heart to you. And then so quickly he dies. And you have a hundred questions that you want to ask your father, and you can't do it, you can't get to know him the way you wanted to get to know him. Age 64, he started to build his own house in his retirement. Myself and my brother were his two slaves, and boy, my admiration for him grew. I really learned a lot about my father. But it's over so soon. And I want to know my earthly father more. And I can't do it. But see my heavenly father. Ah, you see, in Jesus, he actually reveals who he is. I know my father. I can read of him in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, as well as other parts of the Bible. I can look at the life of Jesus. And Jesus is the one who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. If you love me, you love the Father. 
If you're loved by me, you're loved by the Father. I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to know God as your Father. He always planned that you would be his child. But it's only possible through Jesus. Jesus on the throne of the universe. I don't know all the details. Never will. But I know this, that somehow he planned that you would hear the message of the gospel. Maybe from a father or a mother or a friend, from a minister or an elder, maybe a passing tract, maybe something. And you began to taste and you wanted more. And the Lord began to draw you closer and closer to him. And you found yourself talking about God. You found yourself, like I did on the day of my conversion, calling him Father. The creator of the universe is my Father. I mean, it was brilliant. And when you've got that, you see, you have a relationship with him. You're not just saved. You're not just with your sins forgiven. You are back with your Father. And even that opens up a whole train of blessings. I mean, even as we read there, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says to the Father, I made you known to these disciples on earth. And all these other disciples who become Christians through them, I make you known to them. And what's the future? What's the future for all of God's people? I will continue to make you known. What's the mission of Jesus? I will continue to make you, Father, known to them, your children, so that the love you have for me may be in them. I mean, put it this way. Only God's Son could be your Saviour. It had to be his Son that would save you. Why? Because he's bringing you to be his children. That's salvation. Forgiveness of sins is sweet, but it's the beginning. It's this beautiful relationship, Father and Son. That's life. That's life that has the quality, not just that it's everlasting, but it's divine. It's rich. And it all happened with a willing son who was willing to will the will of his father with the whole of his will so that through him the father's glory would be seen. I pray that the Lord would really bring us to understand these things more and more. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we bless you for the 
the truth of which we have been reading and singing. And we ask, Lord, that you would bring that truth, Lord, to bear in our own souls. Help us to taste and see that God is good. We trust in him is blessed. What a blessing it is to have you as our Father. Lead us to know it, Lord, more and more. We ask it in Christ. Now we have what's sometimes called the fence, the Lord's table. We're about to take the bread and the wine in obedience to the Lord. Who is it that you take the bread and the wine? Well, obviously. Who has seen the glory? Have you been impressed with God the Father and God the Son? Have you been impressed with God the Son and God the Father? Have you seen the glory? Have you been touched? Has he captivated your heart? Do you have that relationship with him? Are you able to call him Father? I mean it. Not asking if you're a sinner. All of us are sinners. And you will sin till the dying day. You will sin, but as a Christian, you never lose God as your Father by knowing Jesus as the Son. So I'm just asking you, have you seen the glory? If you have, then you cannot but come to the Lord's table. If he's just one among a million other people in the universe, don't come. Do this in remembrance of me. And if, it's, if you see his glory, and if you see him, you see the Father's glory, then obviously 